Parenting has never been more challenging. Technology, social media, and today's mainstream culture are undermining morals and values while elevating narcissism and disbelief. It is increasingly difficult for children to learn the principles of character and the power of faith in a morally relative world. Phil Vischer is an author, speaker, filmmaker, voice actor, and creator of the wildly successful Christian children's series, VeggieTales. Phil joins us today to discuss his latest work, along with his proven resources and strategies for teaching critical principles to the next generation. Join us on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What? is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What? Phil, thank you so much for joining us on Therefore What? today. Uh, your work is known throughout the world and uh, is just an extraordinary phenomenon, really, in and of itself. Uh, but appreciate you joining us to talk about story, to talk about how we teach these principles in a, in a really challenging world out there. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad I can be here. So as, as you looked at this, you're this master storyteller. Let's, let's start with VeggieTales for some of our listeners who uh, may not be familiar uh, with your work. Tell us, what's, what was the genesis of that project? And I, I know you've got products, you've got over 70 million you know, books and resources out there around the world. Uh, what is it that started it? And then why did it resonate? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. It started, I, I was a computer animator in Chicago back in the late uh, 1980s trying to figure out how I could tell my own stories. I was about 24 years old. Um, I had just gotten married and computer technology, I grew up in church, first of all. Uh, my family's very uh, a devout Christian going back about four generations on each side. My uh, great-grandfather on my mother's side was the first non-denominational radio preacher in America who started preaching on the radio in Omaha, Nebraska in 1923 and preached every Sunday morning on station WOW until he died in 1963, at which point uh, his radio show was the oldest, longest-running radio show in America. So, yeah, I have this heritage of people who have you know, done big things for God, who <laughs> were radio preachers and missionaries, that have, pioneering missionaries that have taken the, the gospel of Jesus Christ to cannibals, and, and just some amazing stories that I grew up with. So growing up, I was always asking myself, what am I going to do? Right. <laughs> what's, <laughs> what's the thing that I'm going to do, you know, that would make my grandparents and great-grandparents say, oh, he's one of the good ones. Look, he's doing it too. <laughs> he's doing all right. <laughs> yes, yes, we can be proud of this one. He didn't go astray. Um, and so I was always a rule-following kid, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to live up to this legacy, um, but I wasn't, I was also an introvert. I was a really shy kid, and I didn't want to go to Erie and Jaya in the swamps to reach cannibals like my <laughs> great-uncle did, and I didn't want to be on the radio every day like my uh, my great-grandpa was, I like to play with puppets, and I loved animation, and I loved sitting in the basement by myself tinkering with things. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so when I when I discovered computer animation, this was about the time Tron came out in the, the early 80s, and, and I was already playing with computers in the basement as well as Super 8 millimeter cameras and stop motion G.I. Joe 
movies that I was making. I thought, well, maybe this is how I will tell my stories, and maybe this is how I will make a difference. And it really kind of sunk in. I was a sophomore in high school when MTV turned on, and they wired our suburban neighborhood for cable. Um, And suddenly we went from four channels to 45 in 1982, and I'm watching MTV, which had just turned on, and I'm, I'm having two strong reactions uh, to MTV music television. The first one was, this is so cool, because the early music videos were all experimental animation and, and really interesting filmmaking techniques, and it was like a 24-hour you know, film school to sit and watch this stuff. But my second strong reaction was, I think this is trouble, um, because even as a sophomore in high school, I could see that the values that I had learned growing up in church were not the values that were coming across in the music videos on MTV. Uh, And it it seemed sometimes like they were the exact opposite. So that was when I kind of felt this sense of calling, like, I think I know what God wants me to do. You know, I'm not going to be the missionary to Erie and Jaya. I'm not going to be the radio preacher. I'm going to tell stories through filmmaking and and animation. So that led to learning computer animation, uh, experimenting, doing, you know, trying to make a living doing logos and bar charts and and whatever I could get anyone to pay me to do back in the uh, late 80s. And then in 1990, um, I decided it was time to do a character, try to figure out what character would be simple enough. This is five years before the first Pixar movie, you know, Toy Mm. Story. What character would be simple enough that I could animate it all by myself? And uh, I made a candy bar. And I thought, okay, candy bar, give him a little face. He's on a kitchen countertop. He's kind of cute. Kids like candy bars. And then uh, I just got married, and my wife walked by and saw the candy bar and said, you know, moms are going to be mad if you make their kids fall in love with candy bars. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, she's right. She's right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's the worst. I thought, Okay, what's shaped like a candy bar that moms wouldn't be mad about their kids falling in love with? And the very next thing that popped into my head was a cucumber. <laughs> so I, I took the face off the candy bar and put it on a cucumber, and uh, he was alone, and it was not good. So I decided he's a friend. He's <laughs> tall and skinny. <laughs> I'll give him a friend who's short and round like Abbott and Costello. Uh, and so I made a tomato, and I thought, okay, I don't want them to have cute names like Tommy the Tomato and Kooky the Cucumber. I want them to have, like, blue-collar names, just like regular Real Joes. So, yeah. Yeah, so Larry the Cucumber <laughs> and Bob the Tomato were born in 1990. Wow. Um, I was 24 years old. I spent the next two years... Two and a half years trying to raise, borrow money from anyone <laughs> to, to listen to me. I'm going to make ve- vegetable videos about Bible stories, and the vegetables will tell the Bible stories, and it'll be great. That, that's that's um, not a, that's not a tough uh, elevator pitch at all. I mean, that is just like easy. Not, <laughs> yes, that is not a winning pitch. Um, and after two years of getting nowhere, my wife and I were in a small group at our church in Chicago, and another couple uh, in our small group said, you know, what What you're trying to do is too important for us to let it not happen. Mm. Uh, and they, they wrote me a check for $80,000 out of their retirement fund. Wow. And said, we just want you to get started. And that 
that's what enabled me to start. And I, I had I hired uh, two kids straight out of art school, taught them how to do the animation, and we triple shifted around the clock on the one computer I could afford, and in uh, four months animated the first episode of VeggieTales uh, in 1993, and that's how the whole thing started. Wow, that is uh, that is the entrepreneur's entrepreneurial story, <laughs> which, is, which, is a, which is a story in and of itself, and uh, I think it is one of the things that everyone appreciates about all of your work, is it's so deeply rooted uh, in story and with each story really leading to a principle and an application of a principle, uh, which is what I love about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, even today, I have a hard time telling a story that doesn't have a point. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, why, why are we here? <laughs> I don't yeah, what are we doing here? <laughs> yeah, if there wasn't a point, why am I talking? I don't even know yeah. why I'm talking. So, and some people will say, you know, so sometimes you should just do something just for fun. You know, make a movie just to have fun. Like, well, that's not fun to me. <laughs> yeah. Fun to me is starting with the point and then figuring out how to tell it in a very creative way. Uh, and that's why, you know, VeggieTales was so clear every episode. This is a lesson in this. This is a lesson in that. This is what we're learning about God. This is what we're learning about us. Because uh, that's really what, what motivates me. I'm, I'm part storyteller and also part teacher. And I, and I like to combine the two, uh, which I've learned is not universal. You know, there are a lot of people that just want to make you laugh. Other right. people that just want to teach you a lesson. Yeah. Not as many people that want to do both. Yeah. I, I want to I want to get into both parts of that because I think that's so important. One of one of the things that really strikes me as I as I listen to you describe that is this idea that one of the I think one of the things we've lost in society is that ability to to be quick to observe, to observe something and say, "Oh, there's a story, there's a principle, and there's an application on that." And it seems like because we've either gone to the pure entertainment side of it, so it's just story and, and fun, or we've gone just strictly yeah. to the, the, the principle that we're sort of missing that. Link all that together for me. Right, right. Well, we in a, in a kind of a commercial world where everything is, is driven by commercial interests, you know, the storytellers are just telling the stories that will get the most clicks or sell the most tickets. And, and whether or not you teach something through your story or improve someone's life through your story doesn't necessarily have financial impact. So it's just, it's not rewarded. So you don't get that behavior. Then on the other side, we, we teach things to children, but we do that, you know, through public schools and we do it in a very organized, official serious way. And so in that regard, you're not really rewarded for making the experience enjoyable for children. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you're rewarded for getting through the material. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't think like, you know, Aesop. We don't think like C.S. Lewis. Uh, who mm. These are people who wanted to tell stories and teach at the same time. Storytelling was the vehicle for the teaching uh, and not something that the teaching wasn't something the government required them to insert into their story. And the storytelling wasn't something, you know, that the market required them to insert into their teaching. You know, C.S. Lewis said he, he tells fairy tales uh, because fairy tales have the ability to take truth and then sneak past the dragons of our rational minds, mm, you know, that are resisting that. learning things. Uh, and when you can sneak past those dragons with a story, you know, stories become vehicles for carrying meaning 
you know, that you don't even notice you're getting the meaning, which is probably why it makes them so, so dangerous. Uh, Plato wanted to ban all storytellers from Athens in 300 BC because he thought they were communicating ideas to children that were the opposite of the ideas mm. we would want children to have. Wow. So, you know, even, even before the time of Christ, people were worried about the power of storytelling on the next generation, you know, of Greek citizens in, in that case. Um, and what I what I just love doing is bringing those two back together. It's like I'm not a teacher first or a storyteller first. I'm I'm both yeah, together that. simultaneously. Yeah, uh, that is that is so powerful, man. That we could spend the next four hours just on that piece of the puzzle alone. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I've been I've been amazed at how rare that is because as as I was trying to build you know my first company, Big Idea Productions, and try to become the next Disney, you know, but focused all on this combination of story and teaching, I would find people that were wonderfully funny, and they would write these great stories, and then I'd get to the end and say, well, what what are you teaching? And they would look at me and say, oh, this. Does everything we do have to? Do <laughs> <laughs> have to really elevate yeah. people? Do we really have to do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can't we just have fun too? And then you'd find people that were wonderful teachers, and they say, "Okay, so write me a story." Like, oh, the, oh, story? I just want to. Yeah. Like, come on, people, put it together. <laughs> Well, I, I think that combination it really does account for the incredible success you've had and, and why that has resonated around the world. And I think it's another component. I'd love to get your take on this, Phil, that, you know, we, we either have the, the teachers just hammering things away or we, you know, as you mentioned, the storyteller just ha- having us have fun. Uh, but there's this interesting component of uh, the, this old saying that, uh, you know, talking about principles or doctrines uh, has a greater impact on changing behavior than talking about behavior does. Tell me your tell me your experience with that as it relates to your work in terms of ultimately what we want to do is behave better and be better and become better. How are you doing that through these principles and story? It's hard to make kids be more forgiving by telling them to be more forgiving. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, just, it's not that compelling. Well, why? Because it, it just begs the obvious question. Why? Why? Why should I? Um, if you can back up and tell a story about a world without forgiveness mm. and then paint a picture of a world with forgiveness, you know, that, that vision of forgiveness is so compelling that you want it. Yeah. You know, so, so telling kids what they should believe or how they should behave, you know, and that has never been effective in human history. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Short of holding a, you know, a gun in, in, in an authoritarian society, you can force people to behave, but they don't want to. And that was the, you know, that was the, the amazing thing about the Christian message in the New Testament is, no, we're, we're not telling you how to live. We're inviting you to be new creatures. Mm you know, a new kind of person that wants to do good from the inside out. So it's the invitation to kids not to just behave better, but to be the kind of person who wants to live a certain way. And doing that by painting a picture of a life, you know, of a virtue, of a life, uh, the way the New Testament describes it, a new kind of life that's not based on rules, that's not based on forced behavior, uh, that's based on love. And when you're drawn into a life based on love, 
and you see the difference that makes in the people around you, then that, then you become that kind of person and you don't need rules anymore. Yeah. As you were describing that, I was thinking, and every parent listening is saying, but yeah, but if I can just force them to do this, they'll thank, <laughs> they'll thank me. Level. I know you've got three children. I've got five and uh, we're, we're working on grandchild number six. So we're, uh, we're all kind of yes. thinking. Well, we, I have a, uh, I have a three-year-old granddaughter who is living with us at the moment oh, because wow. our son-in-law is off with the army. Oh, wow. So our daughter and, and two grandkids of, a three-month-old and a three-year-old, and since our daughter is busy with the three-month-old, um, I'm getting up every morning with the three-year-old hey. <laughs> and that. getting shoes and socks on and eating our <laughs> breakfast and combing our hair and brushing our teeth and then getting to preschool, and some days I just want to pick her up. and <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to go play today. <laughs> yes. Yeah, but I know if I can if I can compel her to want to do those things, it will help her so much more <laughs> than just grabbing her and, and putting her in the car. Yeah. So so let's talk about parents today because parenting I don't think it's ever been harder uh, in the world today, and with so many competing things, social media and the the trends in our in our very. Uh, moral relativism society what are some what are a couple of key things that parents or grandparents for that matter what is it that we should be thinking about as we interact with our young people yeah i, I think we need to remember that, that they will they will mimic they will imitate what they admire you know so ultimately it's not what we say nearly as much as how we live you know, I, I realize, and this is tricky for a guy who makes videos that involve <laughs> characters talking, <laughs> but what comes out of my life is more compelling than what comes out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So if I can live, you know, I'm trying to pass on my faith to my kids and now my grandkids. It is one thing to tell them about it. It is another thing to have them observe it in me. And, and if my faith is producing peace, joy, and love in my life, well, why wouldn't my kids want that? You know, and maybe they don't want it when they're teenagers because they want to try some new thing. Uh, and, and everybody does that. But ultimately, you know, when you've tried a few new things and it hasn't brought you the satisfaction you were hoping for, you're going to look back and say, yeah, but my parents, they always had peace. You know, well, how did my parents get that peace? How did my parents uh, make life work? I'm going back home. You know, and that's what you can't force your kids to never leave home, but you can you can paint such a compelling picture of a life that they will come back home. Yeah, creating um, that and creating that space for that return, uh, that product right. moment is so right because right. Often, without without shame, without yeah. I told you so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> if, only, if only you'd listen to me the first time around, they know that. <laughs> that's right. I know, but it's so fun that. to say that. It just makes you feel so good for that <laughs> nanosecond. So fun <laughs> and so irritating for them. Yes, exactly. Oh man. <laughs> So I want to get to uh, a couple of other things just in our uh, in our closing minutes here. Uh, this has been so enlightening, and it just has me thinking of so many different things where we've we've got to do better and be better, and and the challenges uh, that are out there for sure. I know one of your your latest project is the new uh, Laugh and Learn Bible for Kids. Uh, you also have a Four Little Ones version, which I love that idea. Just tell us a little bit about that and how I know so many people are looking at. Again, how do I get to those principles and values uh, that I can pass on to the next generation? The Bible uh, becomes very uncompelling for kids when it's presented to them as a book of rules or a book of tips. 
And, and even for grown-ups, we tend to do this a lot in our churches, where we say, you know, the Bible will teach you how to have a better marriage, uh, how to balance your budget, will help you with your parenting. When, he, when we turn it into a book of tips and rules, uh, it doesn't capture anyone's heart. And so kids love to be part of a story. They want to be a part of a big story. And, it, and if the Bible, the way we're presenting it, doesn't strike them as a compelling story, they'll find a story somewhere else. They'll, they'll mm. find it in Star Wars. They'll find it in Harry Potter. They'll find it in Lord of the Rings or the Avengers. They will find a story. That's why thousands of adults go to Comic-Con every year dressed as cartoon characters. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not to entertain children. It's for themselves because they're inspired when they see themselves as part of a bigger story, mm. and the world is telling us there is no bigger story. You know, that there's nothing behind the curtain, there's no magic in the universe, there's no storyteller, there's mm. no story, we're all just atoms and molecules banging off of each other. You know, and the Bible is a story, and it, it is telling us a story of why the world is the way it is, and what God is doing about it, and how you can be a part of that. That is what's compelling to kids. So so what I've tried my whole life is to present the Bible to kids as a story, not as rules, you know, regulations and tips for a better marriage for right. a three-year-old to look forward <laughs> to 30 years later. And so that's, I wrote a kid's Bible basically to say, you know, okay, dropping a, you know, a full-text King James onto a seven-year-old's lap is <laughs> not a very compelling way to introduce kids to the Bible. But, so I've taken 52 stories from the Bible, starting with creation and Genesis and going all the way to the new heaven, new earth at the end of Revelation, and saying, okay, let's walk kids all the way through the Bible and show them how all these stories connect to tell one big story, and then we can help them find their place in that story. Mm -hmm. And when kids can find their place in a story, they internalize it, they become a part of it, and that's how you build in kids a faith that will last a whole lifetime. So that's why I wrote a kid's Bible. That's why I do most of what I do is to say, this isn't just about rules and regulation. This isn't just, you know, more stuff that you're supposed to do. Right. This is a whole new life. Yeah. You know, and out of that life comes the kind of living that actually makes the world a better place. Fantastic. I uh, I just love that the uh, a lot of my work in the business space was was on that same core uh, and everything you just said about children wanting that in search of story. I think story drives almost all of our behavior, the cars we drive, the brand name clothes we wear, the groups and clubs and associations we're part of. Everybody wants to yes. be part of a winning story. Uh, yes. And to present the Bible in that way, to present these critical principles and values and morals in that way that they, they aren't right. just a it's, checklist. It's funny if you, if you think about Apple TV advertisements. Okay, you'll you'll almost never see an Apple TV commercial that talks about the features of a phone. What you see in <laughs> Apple TV commercials are a story about the fun and adventure you and your good-looking friends will have all over the world. <laughs> That's right. If you're part of the Apple ecosystem, because they know, yeah. they know, nobody cares about the chip. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It doesn't matter what that they looks like know, or how what fast. Is my, what is my life going to be like if I adopt your lifestyle? And it's about adventure. It's about a story that you're going to love. You know, it's false. You buy an Apple phone, you are not automatically, you know, hiking the, the Appalachian Trail with 12 other models. That doesn't happen. But we hope, we hope it will happen. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Darn phone. <laughs> we all want to be part of that story. Yeah. Oh, I absolutely love that. Well, Phil, you have been uh, most generous with this today. The show is Therefore What? And uh, that is uh, the last question of the day. Therefore What? 
people have been listening to us for about 20 plus minutes here. Uh, what's the therefore what for you? What do you hope they think different? What do you hope they do different as a result of listening to this podcast today? Reject the idea that there is no story because that leads us to accepting little stories, you know, false stories, the stories of companies that they want us to accept. We are a part of a story. There is a God who made you special and loves you very much, which is how I ended every VeggieTales video. Uh, and our kids need to know that. Our kids need to know that they're a part of a story because it inspires you to get out of bed in the morning and go make the world a better place. And that's been happening for centuries uh, of people who, who followed God, who read the Bible, and then went and made the world a better place. And we need our kids to keep doing that today. So don't forget, you're part of the story. Help your kids find the story, too. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with us on Therefore What today. You're welcome. Very glad I could be here. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening today. And be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on uh, Deseret.com slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?